Hello, just a quick bit before this week's episode to let you know that we have a Patreon you can subscribe to if you like what we're doing here and you want more of it. You probably already knew that. We don't stop going on about it. What you didn't know is that you can currently get a little free trial so you know exactly what you'd get as part of your subscription. You can head to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in the show notes to get your first seven days free. All you need to do is pick which tier you'd like a free trial of. The Biggest Mates tier is the one that has all the extras in it. And then for seven days, you are free to listen to any episode we've released in the last six months. You can cancel any time or just leave the subscription rolling if you like what you find. It's charged monthly. And during any month, as part of that Biggest Mates tier, you'll get ad-free episodes of this show every Monday. You'll get a brand new episode of our new Manic Street Preacher show every month. Two episodes every month of The Ultimate Playlist, our themed playlist show, where we talk about all kinds of different music, different artists, different genres, different eras, and one or two bonus episodes every month, depending on the length of the month. That's two episodes every week. There's also other tiers to trial. One that is just the Manic Show and ad-free What Is Music episodes, and another that is just ad-free What Is Music episodes. But hey, if the first seven days are free, why not try a bit of everything? Plus, all tiers include access to the exclusive subscriber-only Discord where we discuss the shows, the bands we've covered, various music topics, and loads of other stuff, including some games that the friendly community have devised themselves. So head on over to our Patreon page now to claim your free seven-day trial. Go to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in our show notes. See you there. Adam, you know how much you complain about my squeaky chair? Yeah. Without my back, haven't I? So I'm going to be wiggling a lot. Okay, there's going to be lots of wiggling on this episode. And just That's like good. generally doing that. Okay. Causing my chair to creak because mm-hmm. I'm uncomfortable in every single possible position you can. That's how, fine. How Shake how it you out. How you back? Oh, I don't know. I do it, I do it like once a year. Age. Probably. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I've got a few years on you, boys. Uh, yeah, gen- yeah. <laughs> genuinely, but once a year I just hurt my back and have to deal with it for a few weeks, and that's just my life. Shit, man. Once you've done your back, you're fucked, and you? That's it. Yeah. I guess a cheery way to start the episode. Oh, yeah, that's just a fact. Yeah, you're just <laughs> fucked, Lucas. You're just fucked. <laughs> uh, Lucas, what is this episode, man? Because it's coming out on a Thursday. Uh, it's not coming out on a Monday, but also it's, you know, it's a special occasion. So it's not. Is this a bong? What are we doing? Hello and bong. Is this a bong? Bong. Is this a bong? I don't know. Is it? Did it come out quick enough for it to be a bong? I don't though? know. It's almost a week since it's been released. Once this has uh, come out, does that count as it being breaking news? I don't know. Well, uh, bong and welcome to Do You Love Us, a critical analysis of the history, cultural impact, and music of Manic Street Preachers, going through the discography, album by album, track by track, asking questions like, does context matter when you listen to music? Does knowing the history of an artist affect your appreciation of their output? And we're of course asking, do you love us? To be clear, we're asking, do you love us in regards to the band Manic Street Preachers, not in regards to us, the host to this podcast which is called Do You Love Us and to which you are now listening. I'm Adam Scott Glasspool. I'm joined as always by Lucas Way. There's no Steve today to help us celebrate the recent re-release of Know Your Enemy. So instead we've got, uh, we've had to make do with the person who (laughs) (laughs) remixed, remastered, reordered the reissue and also produced, mixed and got stuck in with the original one too. It's Dave Erringer. Well, hello. Hello again for the third time. 
Yes. Dave Erringer can't keep you away. How it's, are you? Just can't get enough. I just can't get enough. <laughs> I'd like to start uh, by uh, requesting a big well done from you because you told us about this reissue in February. Um, yes, well that's true actually. <laughs> I did, and you, yeah, I started by I said you said, oh, what you've been doing. I said, oh, I've just remixed the whole of Know Your Enemy, and, and, and we went what? Suddenly... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I, then I thought, wait a minute. And I just asked you to hold, and I phoned James, and I said, um, have we told anyone that we're doing this with Know Your Enemy? He's, no! No, yeah. no, we haven't! I heard no! Him. I could just no. go, ah, no, 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 no. <laughs> and then you went, ah, can you cut that then, lads? And we we kept it secret. We could have blackmailed you for so much money, Dave. No, uh, no. And we didn't, and that just speaks to the kind of podcast that we are, I think. It's wonderful. It's just wonderful. <laughs> and, and, and it makes enough money that we don't need the, the podcast. You know, we don't oh, need the blackmail. Warms the, the heart. Cash. Raking yeah. it just in. absolutely i can i can imagine it's just it must be just millions uh know your enemy it has been reissued for near enough its 20th anniversary round about its 20th anniversary we'll call Ish. it yeah uh we've had remasters and reissues before generation terrorists gold against the soul the holy bible and everything must go uh, holy bible and everything must go had 20 year and 10 year reissues this is my <laughs> truth had a 20 year reissue send away the tigers had a 10 year reissue <laughs> Forgetting Know Your Enemy for a second, how do those remasters, reissues, like, typically sort of work? What is it that you're doing when, when you do one of those? Well, Nicky, the, the Nicky-led, always. Um, mm-hmm. Nicky is the archivist of the band and has, um, he keeps everything, like, cassette, early monitor mixes of No Surface All Feeling or whatever it might be, you know. And they just sit there gestating. And then when it comes time... Uh, for him to look at doing something like that, he'll dip dip into this endless pool of Manix ephemera, right? And um, and I think they do an amazing job. You know, yes, there's the remaster of you know whatever classic album it might be, but they they you know you were talking about context, and they just put so much context. There's always the extra disc of like the demos and the, the mm. you know um, various versions, and you you get to get more of a sense of a feel for the the journey the songs go on, kind of thing. Um, and you know, um, you know, a record from 1993 like Gold Against the Soul, you know, the mastering was very different then. So you know, making it a little bit more, um, you know, modern. And 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 Dave, obviously, you know, we're a music podcast. Me and Lucas, we know what mastering is. We're yes, old hands at mastering. But if people didn't know, for instance, like what <laughs> mastering is, what is it? Well, it's. I mean, it's it's the very last stage of the process and really it's just a nip and a tuck um it used to be you know we used to mix onto tape and so you went into the mastering suite with a bunch of you know half inch tapes and um and the job of the mastering engineer was to make the album all sit together well kind right of thing so all the mixes are done at that point you know you can't you you wouldn't be like you know can we turn up the guitar solo in the mastering that's not possible anything you can you can eq something that you might bring the vocal forward a little bit but there's not a fader with vocal sort of thing so when you're Um, remastering something like generation terrorists you're kind of just uh you're updating it so it sits more in line with other cds that i have on my record collection that will came out yesterday as time has gone on um mastering has become i mean most people have heard of the loudness war by now and mastering has become uh a uh you know, if you put, if you put on 
an original copy of Nevermind from 1991, which no one thought was a quiet record, did they? <laughs> no. <laughs> and you press play and you set the volume of your hi-fi and then you take that CD out of your CD player, which you haven't got anymore, so we won't worry about that. <laughs> and you put in like a CD from last week, which you also haven't got because you didn't buy a CD last week because no one buys CDs anymore. But if you did, then you would find that you, you would you would run screaming for the volume knob because it would be so much louder because mm. that's just the way that mastering has gone is to push and push and push um you know louder than any of us really want it to be and louder means more compressed yeah and more distorted you know less distinct um, i suppose yes which is why they call so, it the loudness wars because we so if we're going back to an old record and going oh you know we're gonna we're gonna remaster it we're not even getting out the original you know the original tracks and tweaking is the is the guitar a bit louder? Remastering the is, not, down. is not that. It's Re- purely getting the original, getting like, the original mixes. So you would you and would then get, tweaking. So, for instance, if it was Gold Against the Soul, they would have gone to the archive at Sony. They would have got out the half inches from the mixes. They would have made sure that each one was the right mix, and then they would have had to bake the tapes because when uh, when tapes are that old, you can't um, just put them on the tape machine because they'll just shed all their oxide. So they have to be baked for like forty eight hours or like longer. Right. In a, Do you mean literally, literally like... in an oven? Yeah, it's a special oven, and it's quite a low <laughs> okay. temperature. Right, um, okay. It's like sixty, seventy degrees, something like that. But they're ba- they're baked for like three days. It's like a, it's not an inconsiderable. And then you get one playthrough kind of thing, and you you spool that onto your onto your um, computer, and then you've then you've got it kind of thing. But um, and then you and then you can remaster it, and then you can you know you, the whole mastering process can be done again. Because it's just remastering. What we've yeah. done on Know Your yeah. Enemy is much, much more than that. Well, how how is how is Know Your Enemy different? Because it is it well, is so a know much enemy, different pro- progress a process. It's isn't a it? very very yeah. We've gone back and we've um, we've literally remixed everything like that. And so remixing and remastering is very very different. Remixing is is literally pretending the first mix never happened. It's like we've mm. just finished recording again. We've got all of the individual tracks, the bass drum, the snare drum, the drum overheads, the guitar in the chorus in that bit. And the, Sorry, you know. so just, just just so I've got this in my head, Dave, just so I can get this right, right, because I work digitally now. Yeah. If you're remastering, you've got one audio file, basically. That's right. right you've got yeah. one waveform. Whereas if you're remixing, the guitar has its own track that you know each of oh, yeah. the drums I mean, has its own track you know, it's, it's everything these, separated again isn't it some of these know your enemy tracks were you know 64 70 plus tracks wow um of and you've stuff gone over them recorded. all again yeah we've completely remixed like is there, there's nothing of the original mix left there's no like oh we've turned up the guitar because we haven't there was no place to turn it up from we've right. just bought all we bought all the faders down and we've done new mixes of everything a really boring, completely technical question. Yes. Uh, so obviously, like, if we're talking about an album from twenty years ago, you're probably bringing out, like you say, bringing out old tapes and things like that. Yes. If, if in you know many years' time, Manix decide to remix the Ultra Vivid Lament, are they still whipping out tapes, or are they no, just no. going like, oh, I've no, got, so, I've so, downloaded the file, download the Pro Tools again. Yeah. Know your enemy. The old... Know your enemy was the first record that we recorded mostly in Pro Tools. Right. Um, right. So, but 
the Pro Tools version is so old that there's just virtually nothing compatible anymore <laughs> at all. And and also, it was a time when digital was like quite new, and no one knew how we were going to be storing stuff or whether that storage was going to actually last. Or right, you know. So so what what I did at the end of that record was I um I went down to a copy room for a day, and I I made a digital forty eight track tape uh, of each of the songs kind of thing so i like a lot some of the songs had a lot more than 48 tracks so i would be like making decisions bouncing down back in vocals or whatever mm. but we had you know I, I just wanted to be sure that it would last kind of thing so we had these two sources we had um the digital backups which were on this ancient backup format that no one has used for like 15 years that luckily the copy room had this ancient machine and then, then that was on Pro Tools version 5, which is so old that no one's got that anymore. No one's got a computer that can load that anymore because it's such an ancient OS. So we, so when we had those files, we had to get this like ancient Mac at the copy room and load them up and then oh, save I them in that. a new format. I love that. And then the tape... So, so, but some of those backups were corrupted. They didn't work. Oh. So then we had the, 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 the Sony 48-track backup if you the backup of the backup if you like and so those tapes all had to be baked and transferred as well so i had those i could reference as well but then masses against the classes was from a year before and so we were still on two inch analog tape for that so we had to bake those analog tapes and transfer that as well so i mean just to get to the point where we could push the faders up and start work was like a huge job yeah yeah it sounds it I mean, the whole thing sounds a huge job because you did you did all of the stuff that you've just described to remix the songs, but it's not just that either. It's split into two albums. Yeah, well, this was always the intention. We were always making two two records. You know, one of them, one of them, uh, "Daughter of the River," we was compl- contemplative, was melancholy, was vaguely West Coast. Um, uh, and the other one, Solidarity, was spiky, punky, and political. And uh, the idea was to, you know, present the two at the same time. <laughs> like Use Your Illusion. <laughs> right, like like Use Your Illusion. Yeah, yeah. That, that, they, they mentioned that in the liner notes of, of the reissue. Um, it's, you know, we, we've had track list revisions before for... Um, I think Welcome to the Dead Zone ended up on Send Away the Tigers instead of Underdogs. Yes. Prologue to History ended up on This Is My Truth instead of uh, Nobody Loved You. Which I think was a good call, and Prologue's amazing. But it's it's interesting, this is a complete uh, reworking, and I think, it, it's interesting, you said earlier when you were well, yeah, remixing... yeah, and both like, those uh, are remasterings, so, you know, yeah. yes, tinkered with the running order slightly kind of thing but this is this is you know taking it making it two completely separate records there's two completely unheard songs um you know one of which could have been a bloody single let alone being left off the album left on the shelf and not heard by anyone for 20 bloody crazy it's crazy that we've never heard rosebud before it's wild it, it's it's interesting that you said, oh, when you're remixing like classic albums, and when you talk about classic Manic Street Preachers albums, I think most people go to like Everything Must Go or The Holy Bible. And I think if if anyone had even suggested changing the running order of either of those albums, there would have been some kind of riots on the streets, right? Because they're just sort of classic albums. Yeah. But when when it came out that like, oh, we're completely ripping up New, Know Your Enemy and doing it again, everyone went cool what is it about know your enemy that inspired that kind of reaction as opposed to the the other one because you know um 
There's lots of, like, it's actually a really fertile period of theirs in terms of the writing, in terms of lyrically. But it would be uh, a lie for us to say anything other than we fucked it up at the end. We did. Right. Like, you know, we, we, <laughs> we spent ages recording some really good stuff. And then at the mix, we were just pushing too hard to be indier than thou, punkier than thou, fuck the mainstream, you know. And it was... It's a, a, in some of that process, we lost focus on the song, you know, and on the lyric. And it became this kind of very wide, splurgy, unfocused thing. But what was great going back to the tapes was realising that actually a lot of the stuff we'd recorded was really brilliant. It's just that we'd we'd presented it in a, uh, in a disappointingly unfocused manner i, th- I think the, the song for me that, that represented it most of all like really most of all i mean going back to it because it was a record i hadn't listened to for a while and when i put on my guernica i was just like how <laughs> one did i make this two did they say yes and three did the record company go yeah fine really i mean, thought it was that bad th- it's Fucking ter- like not the song, <laughs> not the writing, not the lyrics. No, no, I know what you my mean. My yeah. mix, my mix is that is the actual worst mix I've ever done. Do you know? I, I think was... that's in Steve's top ten Manic Street Preacher songs of all time. The original well, the mix song, of that. The song's great. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's just there was Nikki on my shoulder, like laughing at me for being too conservative. And instead of turning around and being, you know, if I was ten years older than them, I could have put a you know a fatherly arm on their shoulder and said guys trust me we need to you know we need to serve the song here whereas you know nikki was like laughing at me and saying oh god it's it's not even vaguely extreme it's not distorted what is it come on push it and i'd be like all right you want it distorted do you all right well how about this (laughs) (laughs) was was that the intention then the intention was uh, back back then 20 21 years ago to be extreme well it was to it was you know i think it it did on them the in the press they were kind of represented as the middle of the mainstream right um they you know they found themselves in that position unexpectedly um and it did hurt to a certain extent their sensibilities to be in that position um there is a certain arrogance to it as well definitely um i think guernica is the best example it was you know it started life as kind of taking inspiration from angels and devils which is an echo on the bunnyman b-side that um that the band always loved um and uh it, it was kind of springier and a bit ryan we did a version like that and james listened to it and he said maybe it should be more like white light white heat velvets and like <laughs> fucked up and distorted and like we should really push it and so i was like yeah brilliant distorted that's great <laughs> and i think that was the moment that we maybe start you know started down some of the wrong road with some of the songs, you know. And so I guess the the, the answer to the answer to the question I would have asked had you not basically just ans- answered it is why know your enemy is basically because the the collective uh, opinion is you genuinely feel like you got it wrong the first time and wanted to essentially do what you want what you wanted to do the first time. Right? Yeah, I think it, what what it was was what what I was pleased when I finally got the tapes together and I could listen to it all. I was pleased that the recordings and the performances were really good. We didn't spend a year being mental. We only spent (laughs) months being mental. Right. You're not not Radiohead. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was like, 
It was at the mix that we that, that we went down the wrong road. But the band must have been pretty happy with it at the time, because if there's one thing that uh, Know Your Enemy, the original release is, is it's quite extreme, off-putting to a lot of people who jumped on board for This Is My Truth, and yep. did kind of reassert their wish to be a kind of a weirder band than the album before it had seen them being. So at the time, they, they weren't, you guys weren't walking around going, hey, we're going to release this, even though we fucked it up, right? Oh, no, God, of course <laughs> not. No, 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 totally. No, I mean, you're in your bubble at that point. They'd just come off two, two million selling records and that you, you have a certain uh, uh, um, bulletproof mindset at that point. Um, yeah. But, you know, that could be easily read as perhaps a little arrogant. Sure. You know. Which is great. That's one of the things I love about that album know, is the, um, the absolute arrogance of releasing a 16-track album with a disco track in the middle. It's excellent. Yeah. It's, it's I do excellent love stuff. as well that like the proof is really in the pudding that, that the Know Your Enemy, our, our feedback to Know Your Enemy, well, at least not Adam's, but mine and Steve's was quite a lot of like, oh, it's very long. Big shrug. It's very uh, yeah. unfocused. There's all, like a bit of like, oh, the second half completely changed from the first mm. half and very like, and actually... We can never do it now, but I'd love to go back in time and just listen to the two albums now, the two discs, mm. as their own presentation. Yeah. It might be a completely different story. You know, it's the whole different thing now. And now it's raises that huge thing of now is which is the canon version? No, is this is the canon version. We'll get on to it. We'll get on to it. I like it like this so much more. Like, I really do. It's, it's, it's so much more focused. It's so much clearer. Um, the the spotlight is on the song, on the lyric, um, not on the why does it sound like a broken cassette, you know. <laughs> was there always going to be a, a Know Your Enemy reissue, even if it wasn't like this? Did Which idea kind of came first? Uh, no, I think James was, James was very clear that if there was going to be one, that right. we had to, to set the record straight. <laughs> That's interesting. That's a really, because he's obviously looking back on that, you know, with with twenty years of experience uh, with the album, so what what was your reaction when when James then comes to you and says, "Right, well, we're going to do this from the ground up." Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, daunted, uh, relishing it. Uh, on you know, on the one hand, daunted, like like, wow, we're remixing Masses Against the Classes. That's the first number one of the millennium. You know, um, yeah. So there was de- definitely an element of. Um, nervousness and just also that thing of like oh god you know what if what if i put up the tapes and it's all bad <laughs> right <laughs> like, what if the what if the tapes but are not right or whatever yeah yeah exactly what um and you know just genuinely nervous about whether it was technically going to be possible at all you know um those dlt backups had literally sat in my lockup for 20 years you know um yeah but um but yeah, once we got into it, it was just really great fun and just so so many happy memories of that time because we did have a lovely time making the record. It was, it was. You made great. some of it in Spain, right? Yeah, we did two three week sessions in a studio called El Cotillo in Spain, mm. which was just wonderful. Um, yeah, um, it was nestled in the mountains outside um, Puerto Banús, which is a ridiculously posh oh, town on the coast lovely. of Venezuela. Uh, and there was just an amazing cook. Like the bedrooms were all just really nice. The studio itself was like relatively conservative. It wasn't like mm. some mad, you know, like Uber studio. It was it was decent. Um, there was the vocal booth was was kind of glass and just looked out over the mountains, and it was just this incredible, 
if you that's, you know the that's whole quite time. like that's almost quite at odds with the kind of album that they it were is. making a very it like really spiky is. dark <laughs> angry album um, well we did we did some of it in mono valley in wales and we did some of it in rockfield but the 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 sort of core I suppose of the record we 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 did do in Spain, and those were those were great times. We, we worked hard. We were doing fourteen hour days, mm. uh, like every day. Um, but uh, we would take forty five minutes off at four in the afternoon, and go and have a swim, um, lovely, which was just brilliant. Um, and then we would finish, and and dinner did take two hours, kind of thing. It was an right, amazing sure. cook there. And they would, do, and you'd be sat out on the veranda and the sun was going down over the mountains and they'd bring this like, lovely food. And the cook would always work like, because there's a lot, of, a lot of seafood, obviously. And I'm mm. allergic to seafood, but no. uh, James just <laughs> loves like his clams and his, like, all of this stuff. And so they'll bring out this and, and the chef would say to me, you know, you know, what do you want? And I'd say, look, I'm, I'm just totally fine with a bit of chicken. Just, just you know, I'm to- I don't want to get, in, you know, because I didn't want her to have to cook like another elaborate dinner because she was doing all this beautiful fish stuff for them kind right. of thing and she would say to me boyo boyo all you want is boyo <laughs> <laughs> similar similar experience for the remixes did you get a chef in and stuff yeah i did just yes not okay. not okay no right. no it was over it was over uh, over christmas um last year and i got covid in the middle of it so. oh no. <laughs> no i was going to ask when this happened was this a lockdown project or it sounds like it was a bit later it was that. a bit later yeah it was like november december um how long did it take in- it took a well November, December, January, um, you know, but like fits and starts, bit of yeah. COVID, bit of you know waiting for tapes to be baked. Bit of, of, right, okay, you know, so a little bit of waiting around, all that and, kind and of fingers stuff. crossed, um, sort of stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's like it's not inconsiderable remixing twenty-two tracks, you know. Right. Yeah. When 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 was the what was the? I've often heard. Um, people involved with the making of records whether it's musicians or producers or mixers or whatever they can kind of pinpoint one bit where they think okay this i know the project's going to work now was there something like that for your enemy where where you had been nervous about it maybe not working or was it were the takes going to be any good when did it kind of coalesce i think we started with door to the river um and the james, album or the song the song okay um and uh, james made me uh, take off all the orchestration um, yes, which was which was the right decision, which he was right about to like lay it bare. It was all like the intention from the lyric writing on uh, was for that to be a really naked song kind of thing. And I think we went on a bit of a. I think they probably blame I'm I'm the baddie Phil Spector in that okay. in that song. So, <laughs> so James is James is McCartney, and I'm the baddie Phil Spector that came in and put right. all the bells and whistles on. And, um, so this is the naked version. This was the Let It Be Naked version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, our friend sure. Guy Massey, who engineered a few of the songs on this record, um, actually mixed Let It Be Naked. So uh, no way. there is there is a connection. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, Lucas, you're obviously seething that there's no strings on Door to the River anymore. Livid. <laughs> Absolutely yeah, livid. livid. I livid. saw him tip his desk over when he heard that for the first time. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, I love I, bells. Bell, I love bells and whistles. I bells and whistles is my whistle. thing. <laughs> I, I was definitely going through a uh, time in my production at that point where I was living by the... Uh, more the, is more. The, the Yeah, the more is more. The Frasier yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah like I can imagine Adam is like, oh yeah, it's so much... You know, it's, it is. All the, all the, all the reasons that the band obviously wanted to yeah. strip it all back is it's supposed to be a bit more intimate and everything and I'm going yeah but I'd, I'm not an intimate person I just want <laughs> <big ass." laughs> 
there are some like there are some drastic changes like that like the the daughter river no longer has the strings because i if if am i right in thinking that it was going to be on know your enemy it didn't end up on know your enemy so you saved it for the best of and then the best of is where it got very yeah uh, best of i suppose it's what you want on a best of right a big sort of production Um, yeah. And then, of course, the So Why So Sad uh, is the, the original version is not on there. Yeah, it's the Avalanche's yeah. remix. Now, yeah, well, I think when when they got as soon as they got that remix back, they just absolutely loved it, and they thought, you know, maybe we should have done it like this. So you know, even 20, um, 20, 21 years oh, yeah, ago, no, they were that, like, oh, maybe not, this should have been the single. Yeah, that's very interesting. That's yeah. very interesting. Right uh, from the beginning, we always... It's not like we did a new mix of So Why So Sad and, um, and said, oh, that's a bit crap, isn't it? Let's do the Avalanche. Like, right from the beginning, it was like, we're going to use the Avalanche as one of that. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I have heard them say that before. I just didn't realise that it was, like, so immediate, I suppose. Because I was reading recently that, like, the masters were done for the single and then the remix came in and they went, ah, no. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's basically the... Uh, right, well, okay. Yeah. Those are kind of the the uh, the big sort of sweeping changes on songs that we know, and then there are new songs. Where did these new? Where the hell did these new songs come from, uh, Dave? Well, Rosebud, R- Rosebud was a song that was. It's not like um, it was a B side and then it just kind of disappeared. Right. I mean, Rosebud was a key track at the time. We worked hard on Rosebud. I remember working many many hours on Rosebud, like really intricate work that's a rockfield song where'd it go um, and i it's it's just really emblematic of how much the plot was lost because it's so brilliant and like and i don't want to throw shade at royal correspondent although i just am because sure how can royal correspondent be on the record and rosebud not even not be on the record but not even be a b-side it's not even know. a b-side yeah we've never pedestal heard pedestal was a song that ended up as a b-side and that was also a song that we were working on very hard trying really molding and trying to sort of push in a certain direction and um that ended up just falling out of favor and it got used as a b-side but rosebud <laughs> rosebud didn't even get used as a b-side i really like pedestal i i was i when i heard about this like project i assumed that pedestal was going to make it onto uh solidarity i was very surprised to see it still left there are some interesting decisions about what what makes it onto the album and what doesn't we are, we are all bourgeois now the mccarthy cover making it onto the album is yeah. very interesting they just absolutely love mccarthy and they uh, that is probably their favorite mccarthy song and the lyric is just so utterly perfect. Especially and it is for a, now. It's a lovely cover. Right? It is a lovely cover. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it is a good cover. It was a hidden track on the original No Your Enemy. Yeah. And, and to see it now at track three on the spiky, punky side of, of the double album, is of the two separate albums, rather, it's very interesting. And then there are lots of minute details. And Dave, we don't get to talk to each other very often. I'm going to need details on some minute things here. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Well, look, look. Do, you want to, do you want to go through the tracks one by one yeah yeah i do actually yeah <laughs> okay all right uh, uh, just for, for my own benefit uh, so adam very kindly for me because he loves you know saving me even th- even doing two more clicks on my computer yeah. he put these two halves into playlists for me it's difficult on spotify right. uh, yeah but are they is it just one album called know your enemy or are they no. called daughter river and Solidarity? it's ne- it's daughter the river and solidarity because da- the album art's the same to- on spotify yeah, look it's- is this just because spotify's crap Oh, is the album art the same as it was for Know Your Enemy? No, this, it's this new. It's look, it's I think great. 
Before we get into Look, it's the Know Your Enemy project. It's the yeah. Know Your Enemy project <laughs> that has two subdivisions that Dave, are as Dave, they should do you agree been. with me that this was quite difficult to market? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <wasn't> it? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably why, you know, decisions were made at the time, because it's like, this is really mental. But, um, yeah, exactly. I mean, because no, it is, yeah. of course. <laughs> And it's confusing because they're two really different records as well, you know. They are, and, and even on the CD, "Door to the River" is ten tracks long, but the CD has fourteen tracks on it. Yeah, that I, I I'm not sure what I'm not sure why those extra ones weren't put on the third CD and blah blah blah. I I would have made the two CDs exactly the same as the two vinyl. Yeah, so uh, that you, that you know is what, I, mean? what that... I sent Lucas. I sent them playlists of just the ten tracks. Oh, that's completely correct. That's that's the, the right tracks thing to do. That's the right. Thank thing. you, Dave. It's good to have your uh, confirmation that the thing <laughs> I've done is absolutely correct. So the one ends uh, with Epicenter, the other ends with Meshiroka. Yeah, and uh, Epicenter, great closer. It turns out. Yeah, uh, Meshiroka, weird closer. It turns out. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's that doing there, guys? <laughs> I, I, I love, always say got to end big, end on the best song. I love right. Miss Europa. I love Miss Europa. It's great. I just was not expecting it to be the closer of the Solidarity record. And it, and it works, I think, yeah. Yeah, um, it's the, yeah they're coming out on the uh, on the mantra of brain-dead motherfuckers, you know? Because <laughs> the original album ended with Freedom of Speech Don't Feel My, Won't Feel My Children, yes, right? Is that right? Yeah. Which is also a really good ending. Yeah, and now it's like uh, track four. Track four, yeah. Yeah, Get- I didn't even uh, recognise it when it first came on. They've really upped it. Look, shut up. Uh, the year of purification <laughs> opens uh, Daughter Door to the River. Daughter to the River, yeah. All, like, my first listen through, which incidentally was on a plane, um, uh, instantly just, it seemed so much brighter and uh, a bit cleaner and, and just punchier and yeah. more in line with the Manics are doing REM kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, I mean, yeah, it's you know, obviously, it was you know heavily um, uh, influenced by Murmur, um, mm. and um, it was the last song we recorded for the record. Actually, it was um, not, not in any way an afterthought, but it was it came late, and we were mixing at Abbey Road, um, at Abbey Road, God, at Abbey Road. We, um, and uh, and and yeah, and it was like, oh, we've got this, you know. Can we set up, you know? Um, and so, and Guy Guy Massey, uh, who is a very good friend of the band and part of the family, um, was um, assisting on that session. And I think that was the first Manic song that he engineered. James All was right. like, let's get let's get Guy to engineer on this. And so and um, and obviously an absolutely fantastic job he did. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, I, th- I think that was one where the, the the mix of the original mix was decent on that one kind of thing. Mm. But this one is yeah, it definitely is a little bit more sprightly and a little bit clearer and a little bit more, you know. Ocean Spray as well. It, the, the original mix, we, we haven't deviated too much from that. No, uh, that's right. Mix. That was a, that was a pretty decent. That was a pretty decent. One. It was it was I'm being a little bit unfair to some of them, obviously. Um, it was Guernica was the one where I was just like, oh my oh, God. Yeah, that's, that's really oh irritated God. you, that one, hasn't it? <laughs> I just couldn't believe that I'd done it. I and really then... couldn't believe I'd done it. Ocean Spray is such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful song. It's so touching. It gets me every time. The, um, uh, the, a... the, the demo of it that is on here is really interesting as well, where James isn't quite sure of the lyrics yet. And there's almost, um, there's almost more emotion 
or, or a different kind of emotion in that vocal take on the demo because he's kind of feeling it out. It was his first time that he'd written lyrics, right? It was one of the Rockfield sessions. Um, we were literally breaking down and he was like, have we got time to do a quick demo? Um, and we set up the drums with like just a few mics, um, uh, you know, in a far more um, stripped down way than we normally would do it. And um, we just bashed down this demo and that demo ended up being the bones of um, of what we actually used kind of thing. Um, mm. just because it had a really lovely spirit to it and we liked the sound of the, the we liked the sound of the drums like that so um we ended up we ended up building it around it like that kind of thing um but i always loved ocean spray i always thought it had a real magic to it and the the, the vocal that he ended up putting on it in spain um well, it was was just really touching to me you know like because i knew james's i knew james's mum so um of course you know um and she was lovely that was that was a highlight of of the album for all, all three of us, I think, and uh, I have some odd little personal context for that as well, which people can go back to the episode and and, and listen listen to all of that. Do you know Do you know what the um what the Japanese means at the beginning? Because it's Michikida saying, um, isn't it? Uh, you have beautiful eyes, such beautiful eyes, or something like that. It's can- cancer eyes so beautiful. Ah, okay. Because his his mum had cancer at the time as well. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, they both commented that the, their mothers had uh, particularly sparkly eyes since they'd been diagnosed, kind of thing. Wow. That is, yeah, that's some uh, some heavy stuff. Some heavy yeah, stuff. it was heavy. Uh, was, it, was it weird going back into that to have to kind of brighten it up or, or do something different with it or anything? No, you just feel the pressure of, you know, this is a great song that I've always loved, so I want to make sure yeah. I make it, you know, a little bit better kind of thing. But no, I mean, I just it's a lovely song and, you know, I loved working on it, so... You've talked about that pressure before of 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 um, being like, oh, this is a great song. I feel the pressure of having to get the production or the mix on it right. Is is that is that exacerbated by then having twenty years to have gr- grown even fonder of it? You know, the, the production is all there. I mean, this is what I was saying. Like, um, I I was glad to come back to it and find that. Let's say eighty percent of the decisions we made were pretty solid for the songs, kind of yeah. thing. Um. So, except for my Guernica, you know, and then naught percent of the no, but that's what I'm made. saying. There was so it was <laughs> it was in the mix that that was going back to my Guernica. There were a couple of bad decisions that we made in terms of its direction, like I said, you know, in terms of how to start. But but when it, it was at the mix that we really just got it wrong. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like the like going going back even to my Guernica, I was like, oh man, this is this is good. <laughs> it's just like let's mute that. That's wrong. <laughs> let's mute that. That's wrong, but the the core of this is great, you know, um, and that was what was really pleasing about working on this whole project. Kind of <laughs> um, uh, the, so, as I said, Daughter of the River, we, we've kind of talked about, and then it's Rosebuds, which again just kind of came out of nowhere. It's a, a weird, may, maybe it's recency bias, but it does become a weird little highlight on that first album, which is why it's weird they kept it secret for twenty years. Yeah, I know. I just don't know what any of us were thinking. Um, <laughs> One of the things was uh, Rosebud. Rosebud's a Rockfield track, and the the Hammond that was a Rockfield that you can hear the brr, 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 in the verse. Yeah, that's the same Hammond that was on Weirdo, the Charlatans, um, which always oh. had like the best Hammond sound of the nineties. Um, so I was pleased to be able to get that on there. <laughs> and then, and then it's the first, it's the first previous B side that gets included, which is Just a Kid. Yes. I love what? Just a Kid. I love I Just it's a great. Kid. And it's, I, I, and it's, it's a I load. It's lo- I think this was one where we got the mix like a lot better. 
Was Door to the River not a B-side? Oh, it's like an A-side, wasn't it, on the... No, on it, was, the... it was an extra track on The Greatest Hits. So yeah, there was, was two... Yeah. I mean, which, again, there was a huge fuck-up. Like, because The Greatest Hits was called Forever Delayed. They had an absolute monster hit single called Forever Delayed that they didn't put on Forever Delayed. Nah, they put on There By The it? Grace of God and Door to the River. They, they <laughs> forever saved Delayed Forever Delayed the, for, the for the B-side B-sides. collection that came out the year after that wasn't called Forever Delayed. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do Forever Delayed. Steve Osborne did Forever Delayed, and it's an absolutely brilliant production, an absolutely brilliant mix. I absolutely love love that song. I love the sound of that song, and I know they do as well and regret um, that decision mm, as well. Yes, I imagine so. They've played it live since. It's, it's yeah, really good live as well. Yeah. It's a brilliant so yeah, song. So Just a Kid makes it on there. His last painting, I was very, very surprised to find out, was at one point... Baby Elian. At one point, Baby Elian and his yes. last painting were the same song. Lyrically. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was surprising. Because that, that version actually works really well. Not that it's on the album, but it's mm. in the demos. Yeah, um, yeah his uh, last painting is, is, is the purest recording on the album. That is one take with no overdubs except the vocal. Oh, really? Yeah, that is. Uh, and so, like, the end, like, the fade... Is you know is clear is is obviously the band just playing quieter and quieter to the end, which is a really lovely thing I think. Um, there's real there's real nuance in the playing on his last painting. And, um, there is also mountain, uh, now more nuance on Let Robeson Sing as well. It seems like Let Robeson Sing was always my favourite. I mm. absolutely adore Let Robeson Sing. I just love its simplicity. I love. It's just the perfect narrative arc of Paul Robeson's life in the lyric, and just in two verses and one chorus. Um, I love, I love the way that the sample sits. I love the acoustic sound, which James was James was had done a demo literally, and you know the old cassette machines you had that had just one little speaker here, and you, you know you put in a cassette and you could record not old your enough, voice. not old enough, Dave. Sorry. Well, you said, yes, you are, Adam. We have. They were around. Like a, a like a dictaphone, but it was like a like a normal. Cassette We've all kind of seen thing. Home Alone too. There you go. Okay. There okay. you go. <laughs> yeah. One of them. And James just loved the sound of his acoustic on that because it kind of was a little bit wobbly, but it was like how could you know? It had to go onto the tape to become wobbly, kind of thing. And once right. it was on the tape, it was kind of out of time because it was wobbling kind of thing and so there was this like really long process where he recorded we literally recorded the acoustic guitar in the control room at mono valley with this little cassette machine on the desk um recorded the whole take and then i had to put that into pro tools and edit it to like fit the drums kind of right okay it's <laughs> nice but it's, it's just got this lovely scratchy scratchy quality to it that i just really really love but i was very lucky the year the year after james gave me the acoustic that he wrote that song on for my birthday oh wow was just lovely that's lovely which i still use all the time yeah it's really lovely. that's amazing what, what what did you do to it this time around it seems like it's stripped back in 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 some ways uh no i think we just managed to get a little bit more space in the mix as right. we didn't take anything off it um we just managed to just um Open get the backing up. vocals to sit right that was one that mike hedges the brilliant mike hedges did um some extra production on and he did mm. the original mix so there were a few that that um that we we gave out to various people for new perspectives david holmes worked on four of them um and mike did um let robeson sing and it was him that put the choir on it kind of thing um and i always loved the gospel choir on that 
what is it like going going back and digging around in other people's mixes and work? <laughs> it's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. It's always yeah. I mean, you know, it's lovely pushing up the faders and finding the little treasures. You know. Mm. And yeah, like, yeah. Do you have to give them a heads up? Do you have to call them up and be like, just so you know, I'm about to mess with your work a little bit. <laughs> Don't take it personally <laughs> if I make changes. <laughs> just to let you know, well, I'm just I mean, going to improve you know, what you've done. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. We're just bringing it bringing it into line with all the other yeah. new versions, you know. So, yeah, um, absolutely. I always loved the way Robeson sounded. I always loved the song. I always loved the lyric. Uh, everything, everything about Robeson, I really, you know. And so it was great. I suppose in that sense, um, you know, the fact that Mike finished it obviously did such a brilliant job. But... Um, it was lovely to uh, come back to it and be able to finish it myself, you know, because yeah. it was my favourite song. So. <laughs> That's probably why um, the band took it, took it off me just to torture me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, and then it's then it was a song that I'm not actually terribly familiar with because it's one of the only B sides from this era that isn't hasn't been available on streaming before. Right. Right. Grand so I had to rely on this old mp3 copy that i might have got from some kind of file sharing website dave i'm so oh. sorry you guys didn't get any royalties for that one i'm afraid um, <laughs> i was gonna say i i'm not familiar with this song at all right we didn't cut, even cover this song i'm guessing no and we didn't i didn't yeah. think okay, i'm glad my memories either. i think it might have been it might have been the um the b-side of robeson i think which was like the third mm. single and by then you know things were um going downhill a little bit in terms of sales we were in the middle of the napster times and stuff like that so well, adam adam why didn't you just bring out your single copy of let robeson sing that you bought at the time and and listen to it on that mate exactly so i don't know if i have let robeson sing i don't think i have that single i have all my manic singles uh like over over here somewhere um i yeah so i wasn't terribly familiar with it who 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 was like who was guiding the process of deciding what goes on and what order? Nicky. Nicky is the general. Nicky is the general of right. all of this. Like, sure. So he worked so hard on this. Like, um, liaising with the record company continuously for six or more months, like, constantly. Mm. Um, I mean, I was the one that was searching out the tapes in the Sony archive and stuff like that, but he was the one that was, you know, um, driving all of the um, big creative decisions about what was going to go on and what was going to come off and um that uh, you know you know the 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 sonic um changes were driven perhaps a time you know obviously nicky's always nicky right um sure. but james and me were the ones that were sort of you know taking care of that side of it but over the overarching shape of the project is is definitely um all nick so things like the reordering of tracks, and definitely like that Nick. Is, but that, those right. were, those were orders that he had written down at the time. That, that like as part of his archive, he you know pulled out yeah. a, a sheet of A4 where he'd written "Door to the River" and "Solidarity" and written the track listings. So what, we used them. What is it about Groundhog Days that like put it above things like Pedestal or Locust Valley or, or Masking Tape? It's, it's it's an interesting inclusion, I think. I think it's um. I think it's a better song than Locust Valley. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I, it, love, it... I love the madness. I love the madness of Locust Valley, um, but because it is like I listened to it this afternoon and I was just like, "What's going on?" <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. So, so much of that song, I don't remember. I don't I, I like. I remember Nick Naismith, a brilliant keyboard player, um, was with us the whole time in Spain. 
Um, and James was trying to get him to do backing vocals on Locust Valley. And, um, and Nick's not a singer, um, really, but James was really clear he wanted another voice in there kind of thing. And when, when Nick was singing it, it just kept coming out in a Welsh accent <laughs> in Locust Valley and James was like you fucking taking a piss and he was like I'm not I'm not <laughs> so I remember that about it but I don't remember mixing it like at all like really at all like none of the none of I don't remember it at all after Spain kind of thing um, <laughs> Pedestal I think you know you could have made a case um for pedestal getting promoted to the record, definitely, but maybe um, not on Door to the River, but, right? Maybe that's a solidarity cut. No, I know that would have been a Door to the River for me. What pedestal? Really? Yeah. Okay. I you see the, yeah. the interesting thing about this project, right? And I, I'll say it again when we when we wrap up this episode. But I think it spurred people on to just have even more material with which to create their own versions of Know Your Enemy. <laughs> uh, because there's so, <laughs> there's so much material from around the time and so much that some people prefer over other things and stuff. It was actually um, a really creative time for the band. Yeah. It really was, you know. Um, it was a pretty mad time of, kind of, you know, looking back, it was so much excess, really. I mean, when we went... When we went to Spain, you know, we took an Arctic lorry with us full of gear, like mm. all of James's guitars. You know, what what if we needed that one? We better take it. Yeah, you know, it was such an ostentatious thing to do. Um, but <laughs> and like you say, like in this like ridiculously beautiful surroundings, making quite an angry record. I mean, I, there was a, there was a really lovely dude there. The guy that owned it was a was a drummer that had literally played with McCartney before the Beatles and had played with with everybody. His name was Trevor. Oh, I feel terrible. I've forgotten his surname. But it, it, Trevor owned it, um, and he had his right hand man who was his um, his roadie from from on tour, who was this six foot seven Canadian. Um, who was the most gentle hippie you have ever met, and it was his job to keep the to keep the uh, the gardens nice, and to, he was growing avocados and growing peppers, and um, and he would uh, do all the shopping for the chef, and he would keep the the fridges full of beer and the walls full of Rioja, and uh, he was just a really lovely dude, but massive, quite a really imposing dude. And I remember we'd we'd recorded Guernica, and I was editing the take. And like working quite hard and focused, the band had gone off somewhere else, and I was just on my own. And I was listening, and I pressed stop, and I just felt that there was someone behind me, and it was him. And he was at the door. And I could lots of things. Groovy isn't one of the things I would have described it as. And he just said, "Oh man, those guys sure can cut a groove." <laughs> Anybody ever said that about the Manics? That's great. Cut a groove. Uh, yeah, well, it, well, he, well, he did. They sure can cut a groove. So it was a mad, it was a mad time, but it was it was a was a, was a happy time. You know, with, mm. they took with them both times. Uh, they took with them a full forty-eight pack box box of Brannigan's ham and mustard, a full sure. forty-eight pack box of Brannigan's um, roast beef. Lovely. Uh, um, and a full 48 box of Golden Wonder salt and vinegar. Good Lord. It was. It's like those people who take was, tea bags on holiday. 
In, in, yeah, it's oh, hundred percent. It was it was crisp decadence. It was crisp decadence. And like, we, so we would have that dinner, and then we would we would go back in the studio. We would work till one o'clock, and then um, Nikki would go to bed, and me and James and Nick Naismith. Uh, well, we we would we would come to uh, the living room. We'd make ourselves a ham sandwich from the fridge. We would get a bag of Brannigans, and we would sit and watch The Sopranos. It was the time the first season oh. of The Sopranos was on, and James had found it, and he was like, "You have to see this thing." And we would sit and watch The Sopranos till two in the morning, and then half the time it would be like, "Oh, we got to see what happens." And so you'd, <laughs> you'd watch another one. What an evening! Beer. It was what? it was great times. It was yeah, great times. Sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. Um, and then Epicenter closes Door to the River. Epicenter, one of my favourite Manic Street Preacher songs of all time. It's in, It's been immortalised in our one of my top tens or whatever it was that we did during that season. Okay, great. Um, uh, it's Again, such a, R.E.M. Such a good closer as well. Uh, yes, R.E.M. I remember saying on our, on our episode, this should have closed the album. Uh, so thank yeah. you for listening to me, Dave. That's great. Oh, I, was, um, I, I was driving that, obviously, yeah, as you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, Oh, so good, and such a such a good mix of it as well. Just like 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 you said for Robeson, just there's so much more space to it, and it and it really opens it up. Yes, love it. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Brilliant. I'm really pleased. I'm really pleased you you like the new one. Bearing in mind you liked the old one so much. Yeah, it's I, yeah, it's great. I mean, like you know, being on Twitter and up to date with all the manic stuff and the forums. You know, there are some mixes that people don't like as much as the old ones. There are some mixes that people prefer way more than the old ones, mm. and there's everything in between. Uh, I, I I love it. I, I love that we have just all just so much more stuff now. I just I, I, I love it all. It's great. It's great. Give me all of the stuff. Yeah, um, that that's definitely all of the, the 3D set is definitely that's that's quite a lot of all of the stuff. Definitely, it's so much stuff. It's so mm. much stuff. Um, and then Solidarity, which is twelve track song, opens with Intravenous Agnostic, which when yes. I read, I thought, well, that's not gonna fucking work. Works really well, Dave. Oh no, it's great. No, I always no, I always thought it was a great album opener. I mean, you know, and that was my other probable favourite track because I just love how messy it is. I love yeah. you know, people always say Sonic Youth, but for me it's it's more um uh Oh god, what's wrong with my what's wrong with my mind? Uh it's more Dinosaur Junior. Right. Okay. Yeah. It was I like we, we we were aiming at like freak scene kind of thing, you mm. know, um, and that kind of uh, crazy drumming and, and yeah. I mean, James's solo on that is just brilliant uh, in it's a mad. really left field way. Um, yeah. And it's just it's just a brilliant, really impenetrable lyric, but like super catchy with it. And it's just pure energy. It's just the the manics rocking like bastards, you know, like which you know, which <laughs> after this like is my truth, which is obviously just a towering fucking achievement of a brilliant record. But that was quite shocking after this is my truth. Do you know what I mean? It was like, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And and found that soul is, is the same kind of thing. Uh, it's yeah, it's, it's interesting. You've 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 gone with the Tom Lord Algae mix for the actual record, right? Yeah. Well, we actually got Tom to do three test mixes for us at the time. And again, this is kind of a good representation of how mental we all were because like we listened to i i you know i think um the mixes of epicenter and his last painting maybe weren't quite right but the mixer found that soul was obviously right uh, you know at the time we thought it was too clean but it's actually really punchy and a really good representation of what we gave him so it was just i think it's indicative of our mindset that we had a great you know tom lord alge mix like that and tom was you know at the peak of his absolute 
you know, uber success, having just done mm. Celebrity Skin and, you know, all of these huge American rock records, and we just, you know, got it, paid him, and then just didn't use it. That's, yeah. So it's Again, great. such arrogance <laughs> and such decadence as well. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is. That really is. And so, and so you know, it's good to, you know, say, look, you know, he, he did a brilliant job, and that is a great mix. And so there it is kind of thing. Uh, we, we, we are all bourgeois now. It seems to have had... Uh, I don't know if this is unkind. It seems to have had a lot more attention paid to it this time, if that makes sense. There, there seems to be, like, because this is going on the album now... That was another one of those... That was another one of those... We were we were in Rack. Um, we went to some lovely studios for the... You know, like, you know, Rockfield, Mono Valley, El Cortijo, Rack, Abbey Road. Um, so, you know... A good run. The decadence. <laughs> we were in rack. Yeah. <laughs> the decadence, exactly. And um, it was a, it was like year of purification. It was like we want to do this cover of this McCarthy track. And I think mm. we were in mixing at the time, and it was like, can we get set up to record, kind of thing. And it was done really quickly. Um, but that's not to say it was throwaway. Um, it just came together really quickly. Um, we all of us actually, um, Nikki especially, always liked the mix that we had of that kind of thing so he was nervous about me remixing that one um but i think we you know it was one of those where it was like i think what we have is incrementally better definitely um but mm. it, it wasn't one that was like oh my god we've got to sort that out do you know what i mean because <laughs> it was right. just good it was it was relatively spontaneous it was quite a kind of like wow listen to that great uh freedom of speech won't feed my children sounds um sounds drastically different does to, it to, to my ears? It does. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was what I'm saying. To my to my ears, my newbie ears. I'm just like, yeah, it's still a great song. It's yeah. still a great song. It's always been a great <laughs> song. But the mix on it does sound drastically different. It really, it has pushed what I assume is the Kevin Shields guitar part. Yeah, uh, a, a little bit higher. I think that was one that David Holmes did have a big impact on. Definitely, um, we right. sent that to him, and he sent us back loads of really great stuff, um, and. Uh, yeah, or, or you know, obviously all the, like electronic noises. That, that I mean, that was that was um, built around a demo that James did with with Greg Haver, who's another yeah. um, legend and and member of the Mannix family. Absolutely, absolutely. We've um, talked to Greg a couple of times on this podcast. Yeah, well, you know, uh, you know, Greg's a really good friend, and I love him. Um, and he did he recorded that in a um, I don't it wasn't big noise where they did the Holy Bible. It was. It was a um, another kind of backstreets of Cardiff studio, mm. and James James um, played that distorted Casio keyboard, and like there was a distorted acoustic guitar, and the the sort of bare bones of it um, were there. And then we worked on it a bit, and then we sent it to David, and he did some brilliant stuff on it, and then we mixed that one at Abbey Road. Um, was it drastically different the new mix? What what is your perception of? I don't know, man. When like when I was listening to it on 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 a, on a plane, and I've listened to it a couple of times since. Like I, I actually prefer it. I prefer this new mix. Um, I, it just sounded. It it seems because it's, it's better, Adam. Well, it's better, yeah. <laughs> 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 but it, I don't know. It just there, there seemed to be something. Um, maybe it was the pushing of the Kevin Shields. Part, yeah, I mean, like, you know, it, it was David that got Kevin in. You see, yeah, um, there was something a bit uh, more glacial, a bit more ambient about it. And I'm all about my ambient music, Dave. So. Brilliant. <laughs> so Brilliant. I really, really like that aspect of it. 
Yeah, um, yeah, we weren't trying to make it like a crushing Nirvana-y soft loud dynamic this time, which I I was probably pushing last time, kind of thing. This is the whole thing about this second album, the the CD two Solidarity, is that um there are some minor nips and tucks, and there are some edits and stuff, but but broadly the work seems to have done on just like making it a bit less extreme, but making it beefier. The whole thing just packs yes. a little bit more I punch think that's good, this time. Yeah. Yeah, because I think, you know, we came to the realisation that just, you know, distorting everything to a large degree takes away the power a lot of the time. That you actually need some cleanliness in the punch um, in order for it to punch you in the gut kind of thing, which you want which you want a lot of the time with rock songs, right? So just, you know, so, you know, going too far in that velvety direction, um, I think stripped some of the uh gut punch away from the rockier stuff some of the rockier stuff the next two tracks benefit really nicely from it being like beefier which is the convalescent and baby elian are both they feel so much more substantial i guess is the word which is it sounds like i'm being really unkind to the originals i like the originals of both of those songs really like quite a lot but they just seem so much more impactful here the convalescent is a monumental lyric i think you know, whenever, it's an insane uh, song all around. <laughs> yeah, whenever you know the Sh- Shebrenica, uh, cousin of Treblinka, I'm like, yeah, okay, all right, okay, well, this, okay, well, we're, get, we're getting back to the politics on this one. Um, and you know, the way that Nicky knits that to his personal world, kind of thing, using the historical and the personal, and uh, is obviously much cleverer than I'll ever be, kind of thing. <laughs> and you know, the influence with um, the, the the influence with with the convalescent was um a stereo lab tune um called french disco that was the kind okay. of we you know we often have a uh an idea of a reference point to begin something with it very rarely sounds anything like that thing when it's finished kind of thing but there's always right. a kind of starting point of you know it would be good to do something a little bit like this with the drums or whatever do you know what i mean um and that was definitely our uh, stereo lab moment on on the record and uh yeah i mean the thing with the convalescent is just gets bigger and bigger at the end and it's it's it just yeah. sort of streams off in this lovely way and i think the new mix is just punchier and clearer and just you know brings all the good stuff to the front and there was a high string thing that I put on that Nicky always absolutely hated in the original Right, song. okay. Did we get rid of it this time then? We got rid of that, yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> speaking speaking of getting rid of things, actually, uh, there's two things that we have removed from Masses Against the Classes, right? Mm-hmm. The quote at the end has gone, the Camus quote. Yep, yep. What, what's the thinking behind that? That was just a pure. That, that I mean, all of those decisions are always going to be the band. So that's them. Yeah, that's a, that's a closed. That's a closed door. You know, it's just like that's them phoning me. You know, I I did a mix of it with the quote on, and then they say, "Can we just put it down again with the quote off?" And that will be for their own reasons. Well, it's, it's in the middle of an album, isn't it? So maybe it's just for making it flow better. Is in the it middle. It probably of the is album, what it's saying. But... And whether but then they've done that plenty of other times in the middle of albums. Oh yeah, no, yeah, totally. Yeah. So. <laughs> we live in urban hell. We destroy rock and roll. Yeah, Steve, Steve, who isn't with us today, said, uh, "I said, have you got anything that you want to put out?" And he said about the quote at the end of masses, like, "I miss it 
but it works better in the flow of an album to not have it there. Whereas when it's a standalone single, it feels like a full stop that you don't need halfway through an album. Yeah. But the other thing that you guys got rid of is the the at the beginning. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's that about, guys? It's, it's not called The Masses Wait, Against The Classes a anymore. Qu- there's a quote at the start. No, right? he no, means no, no, no. like it's not called The Masses Against The Classes now. It's just called Masses Against oh, yeah. The Classes. Um, what's that about, guys? I missed the the. Do you? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I you see? Um, <laughs> I, I, I've got no answer, actually. I okay. do, wait, do you know what? Well. I never asked that question. I never asked that question. I mean, that was one I was really nervous about going into. Because um, I, I don't think it's a great mix that I did, but it was the first number one of the millennium. Um, I disagree. And, I think that that original mix is is great. That's such a great little uh, it, it's it's punk mental. song that marked it's, the kind yeah, of end exactly. of the "This Is My Truth" sort of thing, right? And the beginning of this this era of songwriting, definitely. Mm. Um, so it was there was that that was definitely one that I was nervous to remix. Um, but I think we got it uh, a little bit more, a little bit more punchy. <laughs> it's beefy. It's the other beefy, one's it's quite yeah. It's beefier and slightly less mental and sprawling kind of thing. And I get that. I get yeah. that one of the great things about masses is that it's mental and sprawling. But there's balance to be had there. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you you, you alluded slightly there to uh, they may have gotten rid of the quote because of what it's saying. Uh, which I hadn't thought about. I suppose the potential meaning of that quote might have changed in the last twenty years, right? I think, I th- you know, I don't like. I say, I absolutely don't want to put words into their mouth, but that's my guess. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. That is a good point that I had not uh, considered. Um, it, it's not going to be for the it, flow of the record, isn't it? It's like it, it's not interesting. Trust me, that's interesting. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, I reckon Dave knows better than uh, he knows them better than us as well. I Do you reckon? Takes probably I don't know, man. Accurate. We've spent a number <laughs> yeah, of years. Probably. We've spent a number of years talking about them now. I think we might be closer to them, Davids, at this point. Yeah, I reckon you are. <laughs> I reckon you are. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, Just purely parasocially. Uh, we, we've we've talked about it a lot already. My Guernica. Yeah. Um, so I just think yeah, it's, it's a I much just better mix, it, Dave. It's a much it, better mix. It's a much better mix. <laughs> it was like we we reinstated the uh, Angels and Devils ish clean guitar uh and it gives mm. it a much chimier focus um and it just focuses you back on the lyric which is again blending the historical with the personal um in a really genius way i think um it's a, it's a, you know it was that was the one out of all of them as has been clear from this discussion that i was just anxious to get <laughs> to get good this time kind of thing. <laughs> there is a part of me that misses the um this sounds like aggressively bad extreme kind of aspect of it not bad extreme i mean but i like I, you that know there i like you know i i love the manics and everything about them and i like that there's something that fucking mental in their in yeah. their um history uh, at a time when they were at their commercial peak, it's one thing to have exactly. it when you when you're mental and you're 19 and you're like you know you're you you know you're trying to beat down the door, but to have something that mental um, at the very very peak of your um, commercial success is um, is pleasingly insane. But um, it is, yeah. but from a pure you know technical. Um, 
self-dignity point of view. I was just like, how? How did this happen? <laughs> can, can, I, can I ask a very technical yeah. question at this point? Did you edit the vocals on, on one of the lines and rearrange them? Um, we do, we at no point added anything new to any of the songs. Mm. We were we were purist with it. Uh, In the original uh, version of My Guernica, he sings Alfred J. Prufrock, which is of course wrong because his name is J. Alfred Prufrock. Oh yeah, no, yeah. we yeah we edited that. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he, is that taking, that was Nicky? Nick, is, yeah. is it slicing that was it up slicing and it up. changing that was it around? Slicing it up. Had that been eating away? At that, him for that had evidently years. been eating away at him for twenty years. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love Nicky that. asked for that. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I don't like. I was trying to think. Oh, what did we do? What did we do? Yeah. Yes. Yes, we did. We 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 moved that around. I like the idea that the only reason Nicky wanted to do this project at all was so that he could get the, that guy's name right on My Guernica. It was probably that. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was probably Interesting. that. Interesting. Yeah. So it's not new, it is just you've, you've, you've chopped Oh, yeah, no, no, there's, there's nothing cool. new on the like record. That. There's nothing new on the record. With, with, you know, that would be wrong because they are 21 years older now. And so going back and... It, it would it would make no sense to add stuff mm. like that's that you know although we're, we're we're trying to set the record straight in terms of um the original vision for this record that was you know there's this sense that we messed it up at the end you know like not that um we wish we'd recorded all these other things now with now with the benefit of the hindsight it's much it's much more about this is how we originally intended it to be at the start of the project so when you know, obviously, you feel you got a, a lot of uh, the mixes kind of, kind of not right. But wh- why, why, why deviate from the two album plan as well? At the time, you mean? Yeah, I mean that you know, there's like record company um, issues. Not issues, like um, you know, it's easier to put out a double album than it is to, like you say, to market two separate records at the same time. Yeah, this it's is very, like, this is very confusing. This thing yeah. that I have in my hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So you know, yeah, of course, there's 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 different different pressures come in as you go towards the end of a or oh, maybe we should you know like we're putting out two singles on the same day. Maybe we should you know blah blah blah. So you know, it's easy to see how that that would happen. Um, yeah. You know, and it was a, there was a long gestation period of this record. It wasn't like the Ultra Vivid Lament where it was like six weeks and done. This was a, a, a full year, you know. Um, and, then, and then Studies in Paralysis is another song that has come from, from nowhere. Where, where'd that yeah. come from? What's, what's going on? What's going on that they have all these songs lying around? Both me and James have very very hazy memories of recording this song <laughs> like we <laughs> okay. we had to like talk for quite a long time trying to pull little bits out of each other's memories of like even really doing it kind of thing it was definitely after most of it it was in that period it was before know your enemy came out definitely it could have been on the record 100% but it was at Maloko Studios in Elephant and Castle where i don't know what we were doing in there it, I don't think it was like we've got the song studies in paralysis. Let's go in and record it. You know, one mm. thing. But it might have been. I mean, honestly, it was like it was putting it up. It was just like <laughs> I did remember. I I remembered the song, but I don't remember any of the process at all. Like, really not. 
I really like the so was it guitar like, sounds. I, I really like Was how, it like, like working on a new song then? It was like just it a was brand a new bit. song. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool. weird because I remember everything about Rosebud. Like, or, like Rosebud was a big tune that was one of the songs that we worked on hard. You know, we did. You remembered everything to do with Rosebud except to release it. Yes. It's not me. <laughs> it's not me. I don't, you know, I, I'm not that guy. I, you know, that's what the record company do. You know, that's what that's, you know, that's their business. I, I record them, sure. make them sound, you know, mental, and then, then um, that's that 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 all happens after me. Do you know what I mean? So, and then you do it again twenty years later, and then we do it again twenty years later, yeah, and we absolutely. hopefully get it right. <laughs> Um, Dead Martyrs sounds great. Uh, I love the bits that go pew. Um, yeah, I love the bits that go pew then... as well. <laughs> I actually, I think that was the... one. You would think that was David Holmes, but I think most of the pews are mine on that one. Excellent. Um, but but again, again, you know, that one didn't really come together until we heard Kevin Shields' guitar on it, kind of thing. Um, that made oh. sense of everything. Is Kevin Shields on that one as well. Yeah, Kevin Shields was on that. Yeah, I didn't know that. I did yeah. not know that. Um. Yeah, David does, David worked on the convalescent as well. He put some really cool stuff on that. Um, it was Freedom of Speech, Deb Martyr's convalescent. Maybe it was only three. I can't remember the other one. Terrible. I mean, which is twenty-one it. years ago. You know, some, some of, of it. Just some of it's really clear. Yeah, the crisps very clear in my memory. The swimming yes. very clear. <laughs> the in Sopranos. Memory, you know, like, very clear. The Sopranos memory, very clear yeah. in my memory. Um, studies in paralysis no idea who worked on what songs i really like it i really like it i can see i could you know with studies you can see you know it it making the record or not making the record do you know what i mean like based on pacing and all of the stuff like you know like rosebud feels like such a golden track that you're going to work the pacing around your golden tracks like that kind of thing so that it really does seem mental but you know studies in paralysis i really enjoy and i'm glad it's in this running order definitely um wattsville blues i absolutely love this new mix of wattsville blues good uh i think it's great quite a divisive track in the fandom one of my favourites, but it, it's it, there seems to be like uh, a, a, a more clearer disparity between the verses and the chorus. Those choruses yeah. just like blossom in this one. I love that, but Brilliant. I do miss I do miss Nikki's rant at the end. Again, that was you know, it just that was a decision that he made for his own. He is the general, you know. It's interesting because obviously he left in one on Groundhog Day. Maybe he yeah. felt two was too many. Maybe that was it. Yeah, maybe it yeah. was that. Um, that those decisions come to me fully formed. Oh yeah, I imagine they do. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, we all know the Mannix uh, are very in control of everything that they do. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, I, 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 you know, Wattsville again was one of those where, uh, I mean, Nicky had done a demo of this. Yeah, he, he, you know, he wrote it all um, and had done a really good demo. Um, uh, with um a really it was it was fairly clear how it needed to be you know the chorus no one ever picked up on it for me it's really chili peppers the chorus <laughs> it's like it's got because of the baseline really, yeah, yeah yeah and yeah, yeah. like there's a there's a groove to it that 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 makes me feel that makes me think of the chilies root scar tissue kind of thing um but obviously the verse isn't that at all <laughs> So, I, I always really liked Mossville, you know, and, and I think Nicky sings it really well as well. Um, so yeah, it was nice to, like you say, to be able to make the, you know, to make those changes more 
how they should have been sort of thing yeah I, I i love what's for it's one of my highlights in the album and then it closes on lucas i think one of your highlights of their career which is mr europa disco dancer my highlights of my life yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean this is it the, mr europa was just one of those ones where it was just like you just have to stand back and realize what a monumental guitar player james is the fact that he just for the sake of that one track just acquired Nile Rodgers entire finger picking technique in the space of a couple of days um jesus and he's you know is such a wide player i don't you know people know that james is a really great guitar player in the rock idiom but i don't think anybody realizes just how good he is on the instrument in general across every kind of style you can imagine he really is yeah, astounding he's... He's really underrated, uh, I think. Um, yeah, I don't think those that know know. I think he's. I think he's. He's. He's a. He's a well respected. That's that's the with the manics in general, though, right? Like those who know know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 That's yeah. yeah I that's mean, one of the things we love. And Mitch Roper's just great fun. I just loved doing it. I loved you know getting those sounds and doing the disco snare and you know yeah. Uh, it was just. It was just an enormously fun track to make. I think we were, Putting we were it at the of... end is 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 very interesting. I didn't think it would work as well as it does. Um, yeah, have, having it close the album, having the last thing you hear on the album being someone repeating "brain dead motherfuckers" is excellent. It feels That's absolutely great. That feels brilliantly <laughs> manic to me. Yeah, um, <laughs> there was loads of little guitar lines on that that I'd forgot that I brought out a lot more in this mix. Um, mm. That that are just great and yeah i don't know it's just it was it was always a pretty sort of fun track that one kind of. the the thing about this reissue in general and know your enemy in general like know your enemy when it came out and and in our episodes talking about it we kind of landed on the idea that the album the 16 track album that, that came out uh was kind of it almost designed to confuse certain people and potentially annoy other people um and what i really like about this reissue is uh it's confused and annoyed some people who really like know your enemy <laughs> so so <laughs> so the uh the, the 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 legacy of know your enemy lives on yeah. it, this this has like the same spirit where it's kind of in in the way that know your enemy forced you to re-examine the band manic street preachers this reissue forces you to re-examine the album that made you re-examine the band manic street preachers uh it's really fun i've really enjoyed listening to it um, have, you, have you have you read the review in the quietus i haven't is this the one that the band retweeted yes yeah no, it's, they, they, it's saved in my bookmarks i haven't it's, read it yet, it's no. like the first 200 words is a description of a uh of a 14th century german etching as a okay, metaphor great. for the album <laughs> fantastic and it's that brilliant it's great and it's it, it it you know and it points out at the end that it was it was time you can only be the kind of intensity of band that they were in the 90s in intense in terms of the way that people interacted with them for mm. so long and that it was know your enemy that bought them the next stage of their career in terms of you know shedding some people and allowing them to be a, a new type of band for them you know yeah um uh and i think that's and i think that's true in retrospect you know absolutely um in to, to take a little walk down history lane in 1998 like bear with me here 
the band had their first number one album with This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours, and then they follow it up with Know Your Enemy. Mm. In 2021, they had their second number one album with The Ultra Vivid Lament, and then they followed it up with a reissue of Know Your Enemy. So when the Manics get their <laughs> next number one album, a week, can we expect another version of Know Your Enemy? Oh, yeah, it'd be me sitting there going, oh, we got it so wrong in 2022. <laughs> we got, oh, we need to God, I just can't believe how, it how bad it sounded. <laughs> We no, just it, needed it becomes it. slimmed down. It becomes a single ten track. Yeah, album. It's, it's, yeah, it's a single ten track album, but it's just acoustic guitar and voice. You know, okay. <laughs> there's just way That's... too much on it, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and then I have a conundrum for you. But uh, let's say that we were covering the Manics again, right? In, mm-hmm. in our in our imaginations, let's say we were going to reassess each album maybe taking into account what we've learned about music in the last three years of podcasting or how our feelings have changed over a longer period of time knowing the band. And let's say we're going to do that and that we were going to do it in in more tedious detail with even worse puns than before, right? How do we cover these? Like, does Know Your Enemy go and and it's replaced by these two albums? What what happens? For me, that's the case. Like, for me, that's the case. Yeah, this is, the you know... um, the people that loved the original that's great that's amazing uh, it is amazing um you know and i love their passion without a doubt the, the, this is how the band imagined it at mm. the start of the project um this is uh, far closer to their original intention for the way that these songs were going to be presented kind of thing but in terms of um, like historical context i suppose no, your enemy was released, and that's oh, see, part yeah, of the that, story. Yeah, right? Absolutely, and that's the other the other side of that is you know, like I said, you know, although the original mix of Guernica makes me wince, <laughs> it, it, there is a case for enjoying its and it happened its mentalness, right? and it happened. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, it was so. So is is it three separate albums? Then would we have to give three separate scores? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, we were really relying on you. <laughs> I think no, I think like, you treat like it. I, s- I think you treat it as a double album, and then you remark upon the fact that there used to be this mysterious yeah. old single version of the. I album. completely agree so, with that. The- I completely agree with that. Oh, like, interesting. Yeah, I think yeah, it is a double album. It is. It's like they weren't going to release it as. Or I don't think it was going to come out like Use Your Illusion as like two. In, in two records that you bought right. separately, I don't. So it's, think it seems to, we're, I, I we're could at the be period, wrong there. We're, we're at the period of our podcast at the moment where we're talking about Kid A and Amnesiac, yeah, which is another British rock band who were like had their height height of their success in ninety seven, ninety eight, and shed, then shed a big a load third, of their audience, two, two, two to yeah, two thirds or more of their audience, yeah, 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 because they went away and did something weird, and there were these huge sprawling sessions that they cut into two albums. Yeah. There's a big similarity there. There is. And so I'm wondering, yeah, was there ever like... But they weren't going to do one and then release another six months later. They were going to release two albums on the same day. Yes. That's insane. That's insane. Which which is insane. (laughs) But, I mean, that... To me, that could have easily been a double album, but with two subdivisions, Solidarity and Door to the River. Still know your enemy. Do you know what I mean? Like, that that wouldn't have seemed too, too obtuse to me. It's confusing, isn't it? Um, 
I suppose it's only now that I've, you know, I don't think they would they were going to do it in such a way that you could buy Door to the River but not Solidarity or whatever. But maybe they were. Mm. Maybe mm. they were. I mean, I mean, you could buy Found That Soul and Not So Why So Sad, couldn't you? So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, weird. I mean, I think it's three different albums, guys. Uh, yeah, well, you know, you know, we'll see. I mean, I've I've got separate scores for each of these two records, and I've got a separate score for the original Know Your Enemy. And I bet you've thing. got a score for the record as a double as yeah, well. Yeah, and I've got a score for my own, my wow. own. Re- what are the scores? Whatever. What are the scores? I- I uh, I can't. I wouldn't. I've not spent long enough with them, to be honest. I've right. got like some initial, some initial ideas. But I did give the original No Your Enemy a nine out of ten. Dave, did you? Wow. It's it's literally one of my favourite Matthew Preachers records. Right. Yeah, which is okay. why I was actually quite nervous going into the reissue. Yeah. Because, <laughs> but I'm really glad with how it turned out. Like from my from my perspective, it's really um, it sheds new light on it, and it's kind of it tears some stuff up, and it's respectful to the kind of energy around it at the same yeah. time. It's really cool. I think it's still yeah. I think it's still pleasingly mental, you know. It's de- you know, Dead Martyrs is still pretty fucking wild, you know. Intervenous yeah, agnostic to me is more wild than the original, you know, like cuz it is ballsier kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, uh found that soul is more how it always should have been. Um you know, uh what's Wattsville is just as mental as it always was, but it's just got, you know, it, it, it's nicer to listen to now, do you know. What I mean? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, so in your mind, in theory, if 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 we were to do the podcast anew, we'd mm. never done it before. We'd get rid of Know Your Enemy and we'd have these two albums instead. Yeah, with two separate. But like you say, that's historically inaccurate. So, um, yeah, you know, I would say take your pick. Well, history is written by the victors, though. <laughs> Are we the victors? I love I it. So. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. Well, in that case, yeah, absolutely put this one in there. And it, you know, but treat it as a double album. Treat it as know your enemy. So this is the project. This thing. is this right. is this is one thing that is subdivided into Door to the River and Solidarity. That's how I so see confusing. it. That's how I see that's it. So confusing. That's so confusing. Well, we don't actually have to worry about it's, it. And, and, it, was just, know, it was just it's like not, a thought. It's not exercise. confusing really because it's like because it's the one is looking in. And the other is looking outward. Hmm. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So like it's that. like the two perspectives of of Nicky's worldview at the time, I guess. It's just interesting. I was, yeah, it was just a thought uh, thought uh, experiment. Really, we're not really actually going no, to clearly, with that yeah, conundrum that at all. Yeah. Um, obviously, this is your third time on on the podcast, Dave, uh, and you'll notice that Steve isn't here. It officially makes you what we like to call a big mate. Right. You are our first ever big mate. This well, that's, is the first, what an honour. What an honour. The first three-peat. Um, so, obviously, some difficult choices were made. We got rid of Steve. Um, <laughs> we, we like to record on Mondays at 7pm, okay? So if you can just put out a little bit in your diary there, because you're now a permanent host of this podcast. Oh, that's Great. wonderful. Perfect. So I get to yeah. talk about Radiohead now. Yeah, do you like Radiohead? Love Radiohead. I mean, the Benz is... The Benz is Oh, we've in, done the Benz. Done the Benz. You're, ju- you're jumping it. on for Hell to the Thief. The Benz, the Benz is in my top five albums of all time. I wow. love the Benz with a really, really sincere passion. Hell to the Thief, Where I End and You Begin. That's my favourite one. I really love That's that. my favourite as well. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so great. That's a cool. really, really lovely song. Took me a year with Hell to the Thief. It was one of those where I was like, oh, 
don't know. Yeah. And then a year later, I was like on my way into work, and I just saw it on the shelf and took it off and put it in the CD player on the way in. And I was like, oh, do you know what? This is really great, actually. <laughs> it's just taken me a, a long time as well, which is uh, it doesn't really work when you've got like a yeah. number of weeks between albums <laughs> then before you then move on to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but the Benz, the Benz. Oh, my God, the Benz. It's just... Oh, it's an incredible album. Every yeah, single time incredible. you put it on, it shocks you with how up here it is and so hot and exciting and just visceral and brilliant and glacial and beautiful and just yeah it's you know it's what what makes a lot of their later work frustrating to me in some ways because you just think if it was like fortet doing this or something i'd think wow that's brilliant that is brilliant i love that but when it's the guy that wrote Fake Plastic Trees or Just, you just think, but you can do that! So just do it! Do it! (laughs) Which is ridiculous, because I would never ask an artist to do that, and that's really, really stupid. However, because I was such a fanboy of that record, you know, um, it's that's my stupid, dumb, irrelevant, emotional response to some of the more (laughs) hearty... They're more esoteric. They're stuff. more esoteric stuff. <laughs> yeah. There was one line they they just became a bit annoying when like like uh, when when Tom York was saying things like um, I just got really embarrassed by the idea of melody. And it was yeah, like, that's the period we're in. Yeah, and like I remember talking to James and, and like like um, Johnny Greenwood, who is a towering, astounding talent, and I love his film soundtrack. He's brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. He said something like, I, you know, I just got really bored with the limitations of guitar. And James just looked at me and said, I've never got bored with the guitar. Never got bored with the guitar. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Different bands. Yeah. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Coming from two completely uh, different places. Like, well, that's good anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, you're a permanent host of the podcast. That's excellent. Uh, so, just uh, two questions left for the Manix, really, which yeah. is Are there any plans now for a Lifeblood reissue? Because that's the next one up. I cannot. Uh, if I knew, I couldn't tell you. But I don't know. As, as it happens. Or you accidentally tell us. All right. So, no, but gen- well, I genuinely, I have no idea. I have no Interesting. idea. Ask Greg. That's Greg's record. It is Greg's record, yeah. Well, you've, yeah, they've all got till twenty twenty four, so uh, in in theory, in theory, they've got time to to pull some stuff out of the bag. Lifeblood's a brilliant um, record. Lifeblood is like there's so many you know, nineteen eighty five. Like is it like so many brilliant Cardiff after like I, I love Lifeblood. It's a brilliant, brilliant record. It, just, the only asleep. reason I don't you know because it was perceived to be you know a commercial disappointment i don't think it was anything to do with the record at all or the sound of the record or anything i think it it was franz ferdinand like at that time franz ferdinand had just broken through with that monumental brilliant record and if you were before franz ferdinand you were boring an old daddy-o and if you and if you were from uh, you know concurrent with franz ferdinand then you were angular and exciting and new and it was just idlewild who i worked with a lot as well put out a record that year as well that was brilliant and you know they fell in exactly the same way kind of thing which other wild record was that, that? was, was warnings that and promises that year <sighs> yeah album. exactly album. but like but they were old daddy yeah not cool. both albums i prefer to franz ferdinand <laughs> <laughs> that franz ferdinand <laughs> album is great but yeah I, I i i do prefer life but i haven't heard that idol wild album i should go and uh should go and check it's a really good album yeah. Yeah. really really great songs on there. ronnie wimble has got quite a set of pipes on it. yeah he's he's a brilliant yeah i mean they're just a, 
just a massively underrated band. Just a massively underrated band. Didn't they basically, the reason they stopped was because they basically said they got fed up of being kind of the same size forever. Was that Idlewild? I don't know. That's the kind of thing they might have said. But, um, <laughs> there was definitely someone who I remember seeing at the same they still venue. Play. They still play now. Years and years in a row. Oh, it can't be them then if they're still playing. No, it can't be. Someone, someone else who was basically their reasons breaking up where they said, we got fed up of playing the same venues on yeah. every single album tour, watching no, people support wonder, us. On, and then on the remote us. part, the album before Warnings and Promises, you know, that sold a quarter of a million. And, you know, they, they got to a level kind of thing. Um Definitely. They they got bigger and bigger and bigger up to the remote part and then it plateaued a little and then it fell away, you know. Um But That's I, kind yeah. of what happens to most bands, right? Except some bands yeah, get to the true. very, very, very top and then, yes. and then plateau there. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. For a lot of bands, the, the if you plateau at stadiums, that's a pretty it's good a pretty place good to a nice place to plateau, if you, yeah. <laughs> if you plateau at Southampton Guild Hall, it's a bit it's less, less of a, that's a good place to plateau. I'd love to plateau at Southampton Guild Hall. I'm playing down a fucking pub in Brighton. Anyway, right. <laughs> 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 do you have any idea what is maybe next for the manics you guys working on anything or uh once again i'm not gonna I, just okay just fishing editorially there was a cheeky smile <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say there was a cheeky it's smile the poking. <laughs> it's just the poke the manic well i mean look the manics are carrying on you know that yeah they are you know yeah. they're doing they're doing stuff you know, the last out. The last album was too recent, surely, for them to have something I'm, new. I'm not, I'm not saying they've got a record ready to go. Uh, it sounds like it's out in a few <laughs> weeks. <to me. laughs> I've heard they're surprised releasing it next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I can, I can confirm that. That sounds very unmanics, doesn't it? To surprise release an album. Oh, Who they kn- should do that. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? And again, another little wink there from Dave. It's oh, just, just <laughs> wink, winks are plenty. No, I'm just I'm winding everyone up. Right. Okay. What are you up to next? That's something we can definitely talk about. So uh, the uh, my the third album that I've produced for for the Proclaimers comes out next week. Um, yes, I saw that. Uh, which James played on, um, which was great. After I did the last Proclaimers record, he said to me, "Why didn't you get me? Why didn't you get me to play on that?" And I was like, <laughs> I "Love that." I, didn't know that was an option and um his wife is an absolutely massive proclaimers fan and uh i was like i am definitely taking you up on that next time so i sent him a bunch of the songs and said you know pick pick a couple and and um come down and and uh i think it was james has played on lots and lots of things over the years of other people's stuff the anchor rest and all of that but it's always been um them sending him stuff him working in his studio this was his first ever session session where he came down to rockfield you know walked in with his guitar in his hand and uh and played his ideas over over craig and charlie's songs while they sat there kind of thing and it was brilliant it was a brilliant meeting of minds um obviously like you know politics and all of that was was discussed and it was it was just a really really lovely lovely session and the record is brilliant i really think it's brilliant um, it's called Dentures Out. Right? Yes, it is. And and it, when this when this episode comes out, it, the album is out tomorrow. So Brilliant. Can, there you go. go and I that, mean, like midnight. Definitely. Like if you, you yeah. know, if you if you like James's guitar playing at all, then he's on two songs on that record, and he's brilliant on it. And the so the record is brilliant. The lyrics are great. They don't because uh, on their last record we had we had a song that we did sort of precision tool for Radio Two a little bit. Um, and it was such a beautiful song called Streets of Edinburgh. 
and Radio 2 ignored it. I think uh, I think oh. I, I heard that um, someone said, oh, it's a bit Scottish, isn't it? Which is such a London thing to say. <laughs> and I think they were just like, do you know what? We don't give a fuck. And they have really gone for it lyrically. And they're a, they're, oh, excellent. They're, like, it's it's good. It's angry. Excellent. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm going to listen to that then. So, um, yeah, that, that that's out next. Um, and then I'm... Uh, I'm working with a, a singer-songwriter from um, Newcastle called Andrew Cushin, um, who uh, we've just done two amazing songs for him, and hopefully there's an album to follow. And then I start on the new Jamie Webster record um, in January. And uh, yes, Jamie Webster's who you mentioned last time. You yes, were on, right? who just had I, his debut. Yeah, yeah, who again? Who again? Radio ignore because it's very political. But he has right. sold out Liverpool Arena, 11,000 tickets. Like, you go to wow. his gigs, the people go wild. He is so brilliant. And he is a proper uh, working-class hero. Like, he really is so brilliant. And, I cut, and I've heard the demos for the new record, and it's going to be absolutely monumental, I think. But, yeah, he plays to, you know, two, 3,000 people all over the country, and in between... Every song they are singing every word back at him. It's such a stirring thing, his gigs. But yeah, now and now he's sold out Liverpool Arena, which is just monumental when you think you have not heard his songs on the radio. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. Um I think he is the biggest underground artist in the country. <laughs> well, it sounds like it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, there's that there's, so there you go, there's, Adam. Adam, you're not on the radio, but Shall I just, shall I put my Liverpool Arena date up now. Yeah, I think you just should. see how many tickets oh, just I sell. Just try and book it in and see, see how many tickets get sold. <laughs> That's how it works. That's how it works. That if you build it, it they will come. Yeah, exactly. Right, Dave. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much. No worries. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. And that brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you very much for listening. Our next episode is out this coming Monday in like a couple of days, and we are gonna continue our deep dive into Radiohead's fifth album, Amnesiac. Before you listen to that, come and let us know what you think of the new Know Your Enemy reissue by Manic Street Preachers. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, we've got a whole season of Manic Street Preachers. We did from the New Art Riot EP all the way up to... Where did we get to, guys? Uh, Resistance is Futile? And then a little bit beyond, and if you go back a little bit further, Dave's been on to talk about the Ultra Vivid Lament as well when we did that record. Uh, so go and check that out. Uh, and come and find us on Twitter at What Is Music Pod, Instagram at What Is Music Pod, TikTok at What Is Music. And if you want to send in something a little bit longer, maybe we can read it out on the show, email us, whatismusicpod at gmail.com. There's also a couple of ways that you can support us other than listening if you would like to. One is to buy our merchandise. If you go to whatismusicpod.redbubble.com, you'll find some stupid designs and one John Major one, and loads of Manic stuff is still up there if you do want it. Uh, if you don't fancy any of the merchandise but you do want to you know, help us run the podcast, that would also be great. You can chuck us a few quid by going to coffee.com, which is ko-fi.com slash whatismusic. All donations are very gratefully received and go towards our running costs. And that about does it. Thank you again for listening. And just remember, we live in urban hell and we destroy rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs>